Ed Peters and I welcome you to What's New. We move on today with our study in the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 5. This chapter begins Matthew's account of what is called the Sermon on the Mount and is recorded in chapters 5 through 7. The Lord Jesus gave four major discourses and Matthew records three of them. The Sermon on the Mount is the first, the Mystery Parables discourse in chapter 13 is the second, the third one, the Olivet Discourse, is found in chapters 24 and 25. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is the manifesto of the king. The Mystery Parables Discourse gives the direction that the kingdom of heaven will take after the rejection of Christ. The Olivet Discourse is prophetic, looking toward the future. There is a fourth discourse recorded in John's Gospel, which deals with new truths and relationships in view of Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and intercession. And by the way, you and I are vitally connected with this latter discourse. Matthew has just told us in the closing verses of chapter 4 that Jesus was teaching in the Jewish synagogues and his message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, as we come to chapter 5, we will see that the primary purpose of this Sermon on the Mount is to set before men the law of the kingdom. Remember, Matthew is talking about the king who has come to present himself. Now, he is addressing the law of the kingdom. This is the manifesto of the king and the platform of the Prince of Peace, and it is law. It will be the law of this world during the millennium, and then it will find full fruition. Christ will reign on earth in person and will enforce every word of it. The Sermon on the Mount will finally prevail when he whose right it is to rule shall come. Now, here are the opening two verses of chapter 5. One day, as the crowds were gathering, Jesus went up the hillside with his disciples and sat down and taught them there. Here with today's study is Pastor Henry Harder. One of Jesus' greatest sermons is recorded by Matthew in chapters 5 through 7. It's usually called the Sermon on the Mount. 
because Jesus spoke these words on a hillside, perhaps near Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. This is the first of five major discourses of Jesus recorded by Matthew. Matthew begins with these words in chapter 5, 1 and 2. Now when he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he went on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, And then follow what are called the Beatitudes. Since this is such a crucial message from the lips of our Lord himself, I want to stop at this first verse of Matthew chapter 5 for a moment. To understand this whole sermon properly, it is important to know first to whom Jesus was speaking. I repeat some of the words. And when he saw the crowds, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Who is the audience? That is important for us to understand here, because my next question will be, why did Jesus speak these words? That is, what is their purpose? What was Jesus' goal? So first, who is the audience? Reading this and the other accounts of this same event, it becomes obvious that Jesus was not talking only to his 12 disciples, whom Matthew hasn't yet named. Rather, Jesus' audience was made up of true believers in him, and it must have included many who were still not full-fledged believers. Some were still John's disciples who were in transition. But evidently, all wanted to follow the Lord. That leads us to the second question. What was Jesus' purpose in giving this message? Matthew had just stated that Jesus' message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 17. The Jews expected a Messiah who would establish a reign on earth, a kingdom. Their natural question would be, Who would qualify to live in such a kingdom? Who would be righteous enough? The scribes and Pharisees, with their emphasis on the law and all its possible infractions and implications, made righteousness look impossible and unattainable. Now Jesus answers the question by simply stating what is expected of the followers of Jesus, not only in the coming kingdom, but also generally. How does a follower of Christ who has been given Christ's life and who has received it, behave? How does such a person live, regardless of the time frame or the age? While the Pharisees stressed the external things, Jesus stressed the internal. So I believe that these words of Jesus were given for those who possess the life of Christ, who have received him as Savior, and who want to follow him as Lord. This does not mean that all those in this crowd were full-fledged, real, true Christians in the later New Testament sense, but they all wanted to be attached to Jesus. They all wanted to know what it would mean to follow him, to be members of his kingdom. Jesus was speaking to followers and would-be followers of his. He was not speaking to outright unbelievers. That's why the gospel is not given in these chapters. Jesus was not offering this life to them. The coming cross and Jesus' substitutionary death isn't included. Nor is justification by faith. Nor is regeneration nor the new birth. The great truths of salvation by grace through faith in his sacrifice are just not here. 
I believe it to be a grave mistake to make this sermon a gospel sermon. Those who do end up with a gospel of works. Salvation never comes by just being poor in spirit, or by mourning, or by being meek, or by simply hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and so on. Man can never earn his right to enter heaven. That is a free gift, and it comes when receiving Christ's life by faith in his death on the cross in our place. Jesus in this speech is not trying to convert sinners to himself. Jesus is speaking to the believing community. He is informing them how they should conduct themselves as members of his kingdom. Anyone who expects to enter Christ's kingdom will need to be a follower of his. And to be a follower of Christ involves the same conduct in any age, in any time frame. I make a third point, to which I have already alluded. This message of Jesus is therefore not primarily doctrinal but practical. It is not so much external deeds but internal attitudes on which Jesus focuses. I'm afraid that like the Pharisees, the church over the centuries has emphasized far too much the externals. Christ focuses on internal matters. If they are right, then the externals will be properly adjusted. I recently heard of some committed Christians who came from the old Soviet Union and emigrated to West Germany. They were extremely frustrated observing Christianity in the West. Their comment? In Russia, we knew exactly what sin was. Here, we don't know anymore. They were used to hearing their pastors telling them exactly what things were sin and what were not. But in the West, the emphasis was on a close, intimate walk and fellowship with the Lord, on that internal relationship, and not on external outward matters. The everyday life of a Christian is to be controlled not by a list of laws, but by the Spirit of Christ. Let him live his life through you.
What's new is a radio production of Creative Encounters. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 848, Shafter, California, 93263, USA.